Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here. Welcome to Evanston Bible Fellowship. I'd especially like to welcome the students back. Uh, you were missed. You were missed. We, we, I mean that seriously. We are so grateful for uh, you students who invest in your time in our church. You complete our church family, and it's so good to be together again as a church family. <clears throat> as most of you know, we are right in the middle of a major transition in the life of our church. Last June, our lead pastor, J- Jason Lancaster, left to serve another church body in Arkansas. And our pastoral search committee right now is busy at work reviewing applications and listening to sermons and doing a lot of diligent work. And they're keeping us on track for our very human goal of having a new lead pastor in place by June or by this summer. And we continue to trust the Lord in this process. And we ask that you will please be praying for us as uh, he, he brings us our next lead pastor. If you're here last week, the beginning of the year, we thought it would be a good idea to take a month and remind ourselves about what exactly it is we're doing. What is this thing called church? What is the local church? And yeah, why are we here? What are we doing? So we're in the second week of a four-week series on the local church, and we're going to examine the local church through the lens of the early church in the book of Acts. Last week, we looked at the marks of the church from Acts chapter 2. Next week, we're going to look at the mission of the church using Acts chapter 1 as a jumping off point. And the week after that, we're going to examine the end goal of the church, that is worship. But this week is going to be a little bit different. In fact, if we compare this week and last week to purchasing a new car, last week was was driving a new car off the lot, enjoying that new car smell and having the exciting first ride home. It was a time when we saw 3,120 rescued people who made much of their rescuer, Jesus Christ. Well, if last week was bringing the new car home and smelling uh, the new car smell and enjoying all the new bells and whistles, this week is more like the first time the service engine light goes on. The first time you open up the glove box and you pull out the owner's manual. You see, we're going to look at a problem But hopefully we're also going to see how this problem was resolved. And hopefully we can learn about this problem. (laughs) Speaking of the the auto manuals, I think we're okay. I think it was just a light. There's a light up here. Um, Speaking of service engine lights... (laughs) Uh, we're about to look under the hood. (laughs) And we're going to see the problem. And hopefully, um, things will work out. Today, we're going to open the manual and look at the management of the church. I know that doesn't sound exciting, but hopefully we're going to see that the management of the church matters. In fact, church management is ministry. Managing the church well indeed does make much of Jesus. So if you're still with me, please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7 again. And I like to read this one more time to make sure we have it in our heads. 
Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should, be, should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, let's remember what's going on here. If you remember, Jerusalem at this point had people from every point of the known world in the city. They had come for the harvest festival known as Pentecost, which happened 50 days after Passover. And this was a unique Passover because it was also the time that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, buried, and rose again. And it was during this Pentecost uh, festival that the Holy Spirit, God himself, dropped on 120 followers of Jesus who were, who were praying in the city. And through their preaching and the preaching of the word by Peter, 3,000 people were added to God's family. And by chapter 6, the chapter we're in, it's most likely that another 2,000 people had been added to God's family. There was 5,000 people now in the city who were following Jesus. And just like in Acts 2, they they were acting like rescued people. They were doing what we see in Acts 2. They were devoting themselves to knowing Jesus and his message. They were remembering Jesus and his work and seeking Jesus through prayer. They were coming together expectantly, believing that God would show up in miraculous ways. They were caring for one another, giving one another clothes and food and water. They were making much of Jesus with their praise to him, and they were honoring him in the world with their righteous conduct. And finally, they were relying on the Holy Spirit to do these things in them and through them. These rescued folks were working to make much of their rescuer, the Lord Jesus Christ, except for one little thing which turns out to not be so little. Look again at verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Remember, people were coming from all over the world. They were coming from different cultures with different languages. They were at different life stages, different backgrounds. Now, we know that the first converts, most most likely all of them, were Jewish. After all, they were in Jerusalem for this major festival. But some of the Jewish people, who were called the Hellenists, were from the outskirts of the Roman Empire, and they, they spoke Greek. They didn't speak Aramaic like most of the Jews in Palestine. And it was these widows among the Greek speaking Jewish converts who were being neglected for the distribution of food. Now, we need to think about this for a second. Here is this explosive, wonderful beginning of the church. And right in the middle of it, 
the people who are most vulnerable are being neglected. Just four chapters later. The Greek widows were by far the most vulnerable group in this context. Think about it. They were most vulnerable because of their age. They were most likely older. They were most vulnerable because of their gender, because of their ethnicity, and especially their status. For widows had no protections in the first century. These were the least of the least of the least of these. And these were the ones that this church that was trying to make much of Jesus was neglecting. So let's be clear. The church was failing. It was failing to make much of Jesus because they were failing to care for all of their people. All people matter to God. And the church of all places must be looking out for the needs of the most vulnerable. Of all places, we need to be looking out for the least of these. The Apostle James puts it clearly in James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. By the world standards, this was incredible success. 5,000 people added immediately. Church growth people would be jumping for joy. But there was a problem. There was a big problem. And I'd like us to notice the response of the apostles and the people. The apostles stand as the first elders here in the New Testament church. And I hope that we can be encouraged and also challenged this is for everyone who is a part of the church today. So what do the apostles do? Well, the first thing they did was they listened. They listened to what was brought before them. You know, they, they didn't demonize the complainers. They didn't over-spiritualize the situation. We'll pray about it and get back to you. They didn't minimize it and say, oh, this is no big deal. They didn't catastrophize it and say, this is the end of everything. They heard about the problem, they agreed it was a problem, and they saw it for what it was, and, and they acted on the problem. Well, how did they act? They led. And how did they lead? Simply. They clarified their own role and created another role to address this issue. Look at, again at verses 2 to 4. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples, all 5,000, and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. You know, the apostles realized they didn't have this call from God in their office to handle this. And quite honestly, they probably realized they didn't have the personal bandwidth to take care of feeding 5,000 people every day. So first they clarified their responsibilities with themselves and the congregation. They were called to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And in setting this distinction, we see a prototype of responsibilities being set up for church elders today. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the ministry of elders is, is described in similar ways. In Acts 20, when Paul talks to the Ephesian elders, he says this to them. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, admonishes elders 
further in the following way. And he says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Elders in the church are called to oversee, to shepherd, to protect, to teach, to correct, and to care for God's people. And they are called to pray. Let us never forget that. They are called to pray because the Lord is the only one who makes things grow. This week I had the privilege of spending Tuesday evening for three hours with the elders of Evanston Bible Fellowship, and then I had the opportunity and privilege of spending four hours with them yesterday. And yesterday, we opened our meeting with prayer, and we prayed for Evanston Bible Fellowship, we prayed earnestly for them, and we prayed for most of you, many of you, not most, we prayed for many of you by name. We are committed to that. I'm grateful to serve with the elders who take this calling seriously. But a little bit more on that later. Let's get back to Acts 6. In clarifying their role, they realized that they could not oversee this distribution of food to the 5,000. So they created a new church office, the office of deacon. And interestingly, if you notice in the text, they partnered with the people in this process. Look at verses 3 and 4. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. So how did they partner with the people? Well, they established a role. They identified its function. We, we need somebody who can handle this distribution. They set specific qualifications for individuals who would fill these roles. Look at the qualifications. Men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. And then notice what they did. They asked the people to choose the candidates. The people trusted the elders. The people did what the elders asked. They chose the candidates. They brought them forward. And the elders affirmed and commissioned candidates as the first deacons. Now, if you look at the names of those candidates, look at the names of those candidates, the, uh, the first deacons. Just look at those names. They weren't candidates at that point. They were the new deacons. I want you to notice that all of their names were Greek. I hope we can see the wisdom of God working in this first church. There was a problem that the Greek widows were not receiving a daily distribution of food. And the Lord, through his church, appointed Greek men to lead the charge in caring for this problem and making sure that all people would be cared for. Let's not, let's not lose sight of that. And what was the result of this partnership? What a beautiful picture again. We love to jump to verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in, the, in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. More people were rescued. Even the priests, those who were least likely, humanly speaking, to come to faith in Jesus. Because the church was managing itself well. 
We fast forward 2,000 years, and, and we're still on the same rescue mission here in Evanston, aren't we? We want to make much of Jesus. We have elders who, who care for the flock. These men work diligently, and they pray earnestly for you and for our church. We have deacons who help manage the church and our mission, and people are being cared for. This is true. But as the elders reflect honestly on what we are doing here at Evanston Bible Fellowship, we can do better. We must do better. We must do better to see and care for all the people in our midst. Making much of Jesus is at stake, nothing less. We have a members' business meeting this Saturday, January 19th. You heard Sam talk about that. At this meeting, we'll be doing a little bit more than just welcoming new members. We're going to be nominating deacons, deacon candidates. We're going to be nominating elder candidates, and we're going to be reaffirming elders. This meeting is not an exercise in reading through the owner's manual. That's not what it is. This meeting is ministry. This meeting is a chance for us to partner together to manage the church well. This meeting helps us care for all the people in our church together. This meeting helps us make much of Jesus. We hope to see you there. To help us prepare for a meeting and to help us understand how these roles of elder and deacon fit into our current context, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to hear from a couple more voices up on stage right now. First, one of our emeritus elders and founding members, Tom Mason, is going to come up and look back at the office of, of elder at our church, and he's going to talk about the leadership function of elders as well as their partnership role with the members. And then next, one of our current elders, Kyle Butson, is going to come forward and talk about the office of deacon at EBF and, and, and how we plan to develop this role, um, more importantly, this important role in our church moving forward. So, Brothers and sisters, what was said of the first church in Acts? May it be said of Evanston Bible Fellowship in 2019 and beyond. May the word of God continue to increase here in Evanston. May the number of disciples be multiplied greatly in Evanston and beyond. And may a great many of people who seem unreachable become obedient to the faith. Precisely because we make much of Jesus by managing the church well and that's in seeing that all people are cared for as we trust God to do the rest. Tom, please come up. So I come up with one thing first and, first and foremost in my mind right now, and that is how do we get under that hood or how do they replace that light? That's, that's interesting. Well, I'm Tom Mason, and uh, I was indeed one of the founding leaders of Evanston Bible Fellowship, and I'd like to share some things that I hope are interesting to you, and that has to do with the history of eldership at Evanston Bible Fellowship, that we are self-governing and what that means, how it works out. So the, th the third thing I'm going to talk about is the nitty-gritty, how it works out in our church. And then finally, I'm going to talk about why the partnership that we have between the elders and the membership is so important. So 
Almost exactly 30 years ago, our church planning pastor, Martin McCorkle, was very keen that we join the Association of Churches to which we belong, the Evangelical Free Church of America. But they would require that we have a constitution. We were a little church plan at that time and probably hadn't given that a lot of thought. So two of us, an early EBFer by the name of Diane Hesketh, some of you know her and myself, in our prior church had been on a committee to craft a new constitution there. And that turned out to be a blessing because that constitution provided Martin with a bit of a template. He then worked, uh, I worked back and forth with him, and he worked with the Evangelical Free Church uh, of America folks to craft the constitution that we currently have. I'm actually very pleased to say that over the 30 years, we've seen only minor tweaks and changes. I think it's served us well, and God is to be given the praise for that. Um, the other thing I want to say in retrospect, in historical retrospect, given what John has just said, is the importance of prayer. That's something, for instance, in the early elder meetings, we probably, because it was a little bit easier to do the management of a smaller church, achieved probably a 50-50 ratio of prayer to business. And we found that actually the more we prayed, the easier the business became. So prayer has been something you know, given themselves, the elders, according to Acts 6, to the ministry of the word and to prayer, both of those were certainly trademarks of EBF from the beginning. Second thing I want to mention is that we are a self-governing church, and you may have come from a variety of backgrounds. What does that mean? There's no hierarchy. There's no one outside of EBF, even our association, that dictates, for instance, how we govern ourselves, how we choose a pastor. We're doing a pastor search. This is what we'll do ourselves, and we as a church will affirm that pastor when God does indeed uh, raise him up for us. I want to talk about the spectrum, and that's another thing about our church governance which may be interesting to you. I hope it is as I continue to move forward. And that is, some would say, well, we're a congregational church, right? Not strictly true. And others would say at the other end of self-governing churches, aren't we a, an elder-ruled church? And I would say, not exactly. Elder rule would mean that elders make all decisions and choose their successors. Congregationalism means that the membership would make every decision. Well, thank God that's not necessary. And so what happens is there's a list of six things in our constitution that are member-only prerogatives, are member-only responsibilities. And these include things like receiving members. We're going to do that on Saturday at the, the member meeting. Another would be approving the budget. We do that in June. But another area, and a very important area, is the selection, vetting, and then final affirmation of new elders to the, to the elder board. And if you want to see evidence of the partnership between the members and the leaders, in this case elders, in Acts 6 would be one case. John has just showed that. The, the church was behind this, this decision. But also in Acts 15, you can look at the Jerusalem Council. I'm not going to go there now. But again, there's some strong hints of a partnership, which is the, what we have. So how does this work out? 
in reality. You'll see this on Saturday. So I'm going to do a couple of examples. So let's say on Saturday, someone makes a motion that we double Ryan Silhavy's salary, which I'm sure he would love. <laughs> he's, he's our office manager. Guess what? That would be ruled, that motion would be ruled in order because it's one of the six things reserved for membership. But suppose at the same meeting, someone says that, you know, we don't like Ryan Silhavy. I nominate Tom Mason as the next office manager. Well, not only would I say, what are you doing? That's insane. But it would also be ruled out of order because staffing is not a prerogative of the membership. It's something only the elders can do. Now, the elders would possibly talk to a number of people about this motion. For instance, changing the service time to 10.30 instead of 10, so we may get a little more sleep. I'm sure a lot of, of the groups setting up the service would say, yes, let's do this. The elders would say, okay, that is not a prerogative of the congregation, but they would talk to people, all the stakeholders, and they might indeed hold an elder forum to see what the feedback was, but in the end, that would be a decision only they could make. So I hope I've given you some examples. And the last thing I want to talk about is the beauty of the partnership that we have. And what I mean by this is that the elders have to trust the membership, and the membership has to trust the elders. So what does that mean? It means that the elders literally submit to the wisdom of the membership in nominating, which we're going to do on Saturday, in vetting and improving elders, approving elders to the elder board. We call this an affirmation. By the way, I guess John's going to be reaffirmed on Saturday, so there's something to think about. But then once those men have been affirmed to the board, we have a, resp a responsibility to trust their leadership, to submit to their leadership, and I would say this is difficult even to obey. I'm going to read from Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders. So there's that obey word. And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Again, this is Hebrews 13, 17. And I guess I'd just like to conclude with where we are as a church in this trust-trust relationship. Just as John said in the elder retreat, serious prayer was made for our church and for individuals in our church. It needs to go also the opposite direction. These guys work hard on our behalf. When was the last time that you seriously got on your knees, particularly in this time of transition, and prayed for the elders as a whole? But you can go online. You can look at our church website look at those faces, and pray for them individually. That's something that we need to do. So at this point, I'm going to turn the microphone over to Kyle Budson because we saw not just elders in our text for today, but we saw deacons. So come tell us about that. Thank you, Tom. Really grateful that uh, Tom is here and can represent the heritage that many of us have inherited here and uh, explain more about how our church has come to develop the structures that it has, especially in terms of the office of elder. And now we're going to turn our focus to the office of deacon. And 
we want to talk about some changes to the structure that we as elders would like to make but we want to first start by reviewing sort of where we've how this office has evolved over time here at ebf the ebf constitution that tom mentioned doesn't specify a specific structure for the office of deacon it doesn't specify a nomination process what it does do it mentions deacons once and it puts it in the context of managing church operations and it calls on the elders to utilize this office to manage the operations of the church which as john mentioned uh, it it sounds very logistical but it actually is a, a ministry it's caring for everyone here at ebf by uh, making sure that that's in place in actual practice the office of deacon started in the year 2000 and it's evolved up to this point and right now how that currently works is men and women are nominated for the office of deacon uh, at our members meetings and at that time we would notify these nominees that they have been recognized as having the qualifications for deacons as laid out in scripture and then we would start talking with them about how do you want to utilize this role and one of the unique things about ebf with this structure is we made this very open-ended for them they had a lot of freedom to choose how they would want to serve as deacon in our church it could be a role that has already existed previously uh, but many times uh, and we wanted to give people the freedom it could be an extension of the volunteer role or one of the volunteer roles that they've already served in and sometimes it would be something totally new they would have a great idea for how they could serve our church with their gifts and abilities and we would create a new role for them to serve as deacons in our church and one of the great blessings of this is this really gave uh, people the opportunity to serve in an area of their greatest passion. And EBF has been tremendously blessed by these men and women. Uh, it would be difficult this morning to overstate uh, the work and effort that they have put in. And you don't have to look very far to see the legacy that they have left behind in our church. Uh, many of these men and women have their time of sojourning here in Evanston has ended and they've moved all over the country but we still are blessed by their work uh, that they've left behind so that probably raises the question so why make this change now we wanted to give nominees the way the structure has worked we wanted to give them the freedom to choose their area of service and we were more than happy that they chose these areas of passion and that they developed these areas and blessed our church over time we noticed that many uh, roles that would typically be sort of deacon roles uh, that are addressing logistical needs or operational needs of our church they would go unfilled and that was totally the prerogative of the deacons we were more than happy for these candidates to choose their area of passion but at times we noticed that there were some key roles that would seem to be a good fit for deacon and they just wouldn't be filled or other times uh, people would serve in those roles and then um, as happens their life circumstances change and they would need to step down from being an elder at the end of their term and that role would become vacant again so uh, we just noticed that there was a consistent need there were these roles that um, really suited the office of deacon well that just kept going unfilled we also noticed uh, consistently that when we talked with nominees just about their options 
um, and the ways they could serve when we told them that, you know, you could make this an extension of your current volunteer role. Some of them would express a little bit of confusion at this, and they would say, you know, they would just question, are we just bestowing the title of deacon to a volunteer role on which they were already serving? We recognized there was some confusion there in the way we were using the term. But then also over time, as we allowed people the freedom to really structure their role as they would like, we noticed that these deacon roles began to vary widely in terms of the time requirements, the responsibilities, even budget oversight that they would have. Um, and that was something that we noticed as well um, could create a lot of confusion for people over time. Now, we, we give all this evaluation on the structure of the office of deacon here, and that should not reflect negatively at all on the men and women who have been serving in these roles. We wanted them to have the freedom to choose the roles that they were most passionate about, and they have really um, been dedicated to those roles and have blessed our church greatly. And so we are going to make some structural changes, but we wanted to honor their efforts and their passion for their role. And so we wanted to give them an option where we have sort of an overlap of these two structures. The old structure will continue for another three years. And at the same time, we're gonna be starting some new deacon roles and a new structure going forward. But for those current deacons, we wanted to give them the opportunity to see their role through. We wanted those who were currently in the middle of their term to have the chance to finish out that term. We also wanted those who were up for reaffirmation this year uh, to have the chance to go forward for reaffirmation at the members meeting. And again, that was because we recognize they've served faithfully and they have a, a passion and maybe a vision for how they were gonna utilize that role going forward. And we want them to, in this time of overlap, have the opportunity to do so. Ultimately, though, we believe that to best care for everyone at the church, we wanted to restructure this deacon role. We wanted to better address some of the operational needs that we as a church have week in and week out. We wanted to make these roles more consistent in terms of their expectations. And we also want to provide better support for those who are serving as deacon as well. And so what we've done is we have moved to a structure where we are going to specify particular deacon roles. We've chosen five to start. Those uh, roles for deacon offices will be uh, deacon for community life, deacon for welcome team, deacon for communion, deacon for missions committee, and deacon for evangelism. Now you'll notice that um, there's some overlap with what some folks have already been doing. Matt Wright, who is one of our current deacons, has already been serving really in the role of the missions committee uh, chairman. We see his role continuing forward in this new structure. We know that Lance Evans has been serving faithfully as our coordinator for evangelism, and we really see that role fitting the description of this deacon role as well. We know that Chelsea Sherlock, much of what she's been doing to help our congregation develop community, also fits the description of what uh, the deacon role, uh, how we imagine that going forward. So our prayer for this time is for God to lead us. We want him to help us affirm those um, who are already serving in these ways, but then we also wanna ask God to lead us to find the right people for all these different roles. And so that's what we're gonna do this Saturday. Now these five represent just a starting point. 
We are planning to adjust this list, um, possibly even in the near future, to better address our church needs, just like the, the apostles did in Acts 6. Some other changes that we're going to make, we are going to ask those that are serving as deacon to make this their primary volunteer role at EBF. We want to make sure that they are gathering a team of people around them to serve on these different areas that they're serving our church in. And that's because we don't want them to bear the responsibility for these roles by themselves. And we also want to give people who have a passion for these things, even if they're not deacons themselves, to serve in these ways and on these teams. To better provide the resources that these deacons need, we're going to give them each uh, a budget line. We also want to regularly meet with these folks. We want the elders to gather with them for ongoing communication and feedback and support as well. Now, how did we choose these five? And we want to be clear that these five don't represent in our minds a more spiritual role within the church at all. Nor are we saying by choosing these and leaving some of the other roles in the church off, we're not saying that those roles now become optional or less important to our church. That is very, very far from the truth. Each volunteer role that we have is really important for our church to function, to care for one another, and to make our worship of the Lord very clear and uh, enjoyable for all of us. What we did is we as elders, we took a broad look at all the roles of the church and specifically identified those that address logistical needs. We identified roles that were consistent in terms of time, uh, budget, leadership, and really what we saw was a middle level of roles within our church. These deacon roles really represent uh, service in our church that maybe it's not the same amount of hours, it's not as many hours as a part-time role would, would require, but yet at the same time, these are roles that really need oversight uh, each and every week, um, more than maybe a volunteer who's rotating a few times a month. And again, this is just our first pass at this list. We fully expect that we will continue to evaluate this list and we will add to it as other needs arise in our church. All these changes will go into effect this Saturday at the members meeting. We'll take nominees there and begin matching them with the offices that we've listed here. We're very excited. We think that this is going to help us as a church family better address some operational needs and better care for everyone in our church. And we actually believe that this will help us amplify the service of other volunteers in the church as well. As we provide more clarity to the office of deacon and to these particular roles, we think that it's gonna help all the volunteers serving in our church to have a better understanding of what their role is and how they can contribute and bless our church. And so as we closed uh, this morning and we look ahead to this Saturday, we want to pray and just ask for the Lord to really bless us with wisdom and guide us um, as we enter this new structure. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this family called the church. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us all to be a part of this. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together on a regular basis and to um, rejoice over what you've done in our lives and to care for each other. 
Lord, as we go into the Saturday's meeting, we pray for your wisdom as a church body, as we consider those who um, meet the qualifications and who are good fit for these offices. Lord, I pray for our church that you would guide us to the right people for each of these roles, and not just for these, but for all the roles in our church, for elder, uh, for part-time staff, for um, other volunteer roles. Lord, I pray that you would guide each of us to an area that we can serve um, and bless one another as we serve together. And Lord, ultimately, we pray it's for your glory. We want to make much of you, um, not just with our praise, but also how we operate as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen.